Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down and reviews the first half of the 2021 MLB season. Plus, a special bonus segment on today's podcast as Brett sits down with Yankees beat reporter Sweeney Murty to talk about what it's like to deal with the New York media. All right, let's do this. And now... Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, we're going to break down the first half of the 2021 Major League season and preview the second half as well. But first, we're going to dive into what makes the Big Apple so much different in the world of sports. And to help us do that, we're going to bring in a buddy of mine. Ladies and gentlemen, Sweeney Murty. Sweeney, thanks for coming on the program. Booney, how are you? Thanks for having me. I love it. I love it. Yanks are limping into the break. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you might know a little bit more about that than I do, but yeah. uh, they, um, you know, they got, I, it's not the first Yankees team that I've seen that has limped into the break. Some of the others have rebounded well. Um, some others haven't, but um, you know, I always like to see how things play out. It gets real interesting right after the break. And I mean, it's, you know, you don't have to wait long. It's breakneck pace after the break. There are eight games with the Red Sox in the first 11 days after the All-Star break. That's going to tell you a lot. There's going to be a lot of action in those first two weeks after the break. And in this kind of two-part podcast, we're going to get to that in a bit. But I want to talk about the New York media. Uh, I traveled to New York 15 years as a visitor. But I've never lived that life of, of that home, you know, that home team athlete on a daily basis. Uh, why does New York have the reputation it does? And is that reputation fair? Well, I think the reputation goes back a long ways. It's probably evolved and changed a bit over the years. Um, New York used to be a town with. Um, gosh, I, I don't even know what the official count was. I mean, there were like seven or eight newspapers, I think, or maybe even more. Um, all of them with um, with columnists who were, you know, they were they were just a daily voice. And baseball was the main sport; it was every day. And you're going back to the days when you know you had the, not just the Yankees, but you had the Brooklyn Dodgers, the New York Giants. Obviously, those two teams left, moved west. The Mets came in. And, you know, as the media landscape changed into, you know, different things, radio, TV and all that, New York is still the most populous place. So it has a lot of a lot of media and a lot of people who are kind of craving that um, that information and all the things that go along with it. So um, I think it was probably a tougher town a long time ago. But a lot of it, Brett, is just based on sheer numbers, because you know from the places that you played, and you can describe this to people, you finish up a game playing for the Mariners or the Braves, there might be a handful of people around your locker. Maybe on a on a on occasion there might be six or eight people around your locker. I mean, after a after a Yankees game or a Mets game, you know, it's not unusual to have 20 people around your locker. Um, there when you know my travels on the Yankees beat. There were at its peak, I think there were 11 different organizations that had a traveling beat reporter. So that's when you go on the road, you've got 11 people around your locker after a game. And that's unusual. It doesn't happen in every place. So 
I think the reputation kind of happens by sheer numbers. Sometimes, you know, the back page headlines of the tabloids. And of course, my personal favorite sports talk radio, where you get to hear probably on your way to the ballpark, how badly you suck that day. Yeah, it's it, it, New York's just a different animal. It really is. Uh, and now you got the bloggers, they're chipping in too. So that, so the competition's pretty fierce newspapers, bloggers, uh, like you mentioned, sports radio, um, let's, let's make the distinction though, that, you know, the media, I mean, the word media, you know, it, it means something, right. You're kind of, you're the conduit between the fans and the players. So, um, there are, you know, bloggers kind of a catch all term that started, you know, several years ago. Right. And there are several people who have started websites that now have access to players and managers and things like that. But, you know, the people who, have to go into the clubhouses to talk to the players, you know, there's a different level of responsibility there. And, um, you know, there's, listen, you, I can go on the radio and say something about a player. I'm going to be in the clubhouse that day. If that player or somebody has an issue with it, or if somebody wrote for one of the main newspapers in town or one of the main websites, you know, um, those those people are going to be in the clubhouse that day. And if you don't like what they said, you can talk to them about it. So there's a certain responsibility with backing up what you said or wrote because you have to face that person the next day. And that's not the same. You know, when you, when we throw out a phrase like blogger, that's not the same for those, uh, those people. There are some really well-run blogs and people who are very knowledgeable and, and put a lot of good information out there. But, you know, just remember when you're talking about media, I think you have to understand that you're talking about someone who has direct access to the people. And there's a responsibility that goes along with, you know, allowing somebody to confront you if they don't like what you said. No, I, I think that's a great point, too. And, and coming at it from, you know, the only place I've come at it uh, to date is from the player standpoint, you know, and, and I was in a bunch of different cities throughout my career. Uh, you'd mentioned the Braves and, and uh, the Seattle Mariners, also the Cincinnati Reds and, and the San Diego Padres. And on each team, each city I was in, you're right. There was that group that was with us all the time and they weren't going anywhere. So, and, and back then, you know, it wasn't so much that we read. We got the we actually got the newspaper and read it. Yeah. And, and if somebody mm-hmm. said something. Believe me, as much as us as players, we like to play it cool. We don't care what people say. We we see and pretty much hear you know every, everything. You know yeah. And I'll tell you, the guys that I respected the most and had the good relationships with were the guy that the guys that really came in there, faced the music, sometimes had to critique me. See what what a lot of people don't realize is that as a big league player, as a player that you want to make a lot of money, you sign a big contract. There's, there's a price that comes with that. If you're not pulling your weight, I expect the Sweeney's and the Murtis, Sweeney Murtis of the world to hold me accountable. That's my job because when I'm doing my job, I'm going to get nothing but praise. All I ask from that group and, and, and that group that follows us around, uh, the beat writers, the guys that are there on a daily basis, be respectful, be professional. And I'll tell you, I, I, I had very few run-ins with, with the guys that were with whatever club I was with at the time. I always had a good, professional, uh, respectful relationship, and it went smoothly. But, but you, it is. You're in a position sometimes. You might have a favorite player in that clubhouse, 
And man, I, I've got to tell it like it is right now. I got to be honest here. And tomorrow I got to look him in the eye and hopefully he respects me back. We both have jobs to do. That can be a little dicey, but, but uh, you know, that, that's, that's what comes with the territory. I think when when you have to kind of cross a line sometimes into, you know, maybe uh, going from saying this play, you know, being factual and saying this player is struggling to when you might have to put on a columnist hat or give a stronger opinion to go to the point where this player should be benched or this player needs to be sent down. That's when you're kind of crossing lines that could ruffle feathers um, and. I, I think there's still a place for those types of things. But again, it's about standing in front of the player the next day and being accountable for that. I don't think you can ever go wrong being, being factual. You know, if, if I, you know, if I say Brett Boone is two for his last 40 and he's, he's a major reason why the Mariners have lost seven in a row, you know, you're not going to be able to argue with that. But if I sit there and say, you know, Brett Boone's two for 40 and he's got a bad attitude and he needs to be traded or else the Mariners aren't going anywhere, unless I've got something factual to back that up or if I can prove to you that those conversations are taking place and that this is something that is actually possibly going to happen, then I've probably crossed the line that, you know, it's it's no longer factual and that's where, you know, the relationships could sour. But I think if you keep it to my thing has always been if you keep it to something that's, you know, that's kind of real as opposed to, you know, crossing into some sort of fix, fictional fantasy type thing, then, you know, I think I've done my job. And if it, 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 I've used it because you're around every day, I would hope that the players see how I go about my job and. You're right. They've probably heard you or read you or done something because, you know, even if they say that they don't, they probably do or know somebody who does know everything that's said or written about them. I would hope there's enough respect built into the long term part of the job that you understand what, you know, what is happening in that moment. You grew up in Pennsylvania. You worked at WIP in 1997. One year there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Compare the two for me. New York versus Philly. Both tough cities. Yeah, um, it's you know it's hard. I, I mean, Philly was a, was always a football town, right? Um, the thing I remember is that I started at WIP in July, like July first. I think was my first day, and it was. I mean, they're gearing up for the Phillies weren't very good that year, but they're gearing up for Eagles training camp, and you could you know you could fill up a talk show with. Eagles on 4th of July weekend. Um, that's a, that part was really interesting to me. There's, they won't hold back. You know, I think a lot, a lot of what's baked into that is I feel like maybe it's not unique to Philadelphia or New York, but I think it's different when the people who uh, are on sports talk radio and you hear the voices behind, you know, the passion and, and, and whatever they're criticizing. If they're from that city originally and they grew up rooting for those teams, I think it takes on a different flavor. And that happens in a lot of cities. Uh, it happens here in New York, but I, I, I feel like it takes on a little different flavor. Maybe it's, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm unique to that because I, 
I didn't grow up in New York and I didn't grow up in Philly. I grew up rooting for the Phillies. I grew up in the Harrisburg area, a couple hours outside. But um, yeah, they're both really passionate. And I think for a long time, New York had a, had a, you know, they had a history of teams that won. So you were, you're backing winning teams and Hall of Fame players. And there was a long period of Phillies history or Philly sports history that didn't have a lot of winning associated with it. So that probably impacted, you know, not just how the fans look at it, but how the media looked at it too. And we both grew up in that Philly area. And yeah, it, it always has. It's it's a football town. It, 1980, I know. That was huge, it, man. I know you remember those days. I was yeah. on the float, young Brett Boone on that float. <laughs> I was watching. I've seen the pictures. I've, I found you and your brother in the uh, parade shots. I've, I've seen it. Um, it's still, you know, I read somewhere that a baseball fan always wants the sport to be like it was when you were 10 years old. Um, so if that means you grew up in the eight teams in each league era or in the pre DH era or in the steroid era, whatever you want to call it. If you grew up in that time, if you were 10 years old, that's when you were at, your fandom was at its peak. And as you grow older, that's kind of what you're always, you know, measuring it against. And you want it to be, just like it was when you were 10 years old and baseball meant everything to you. Well, listen, when I was 10 years old, I'm collecting baseball cards like crazy and I'm, I'm watching the Phillies and I'm listening to Harry Callis and, um, you know, uh, Richie Ashburn and Andy Muster and Chris Wheeler every single day and night. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm, you know, the players on those teams were, they were the guys that were on my baseball cards, right? And there, and I was ten years old when the Phillies won the World Series, so I still remember the memory of waking up the next day on Wednesday morning, going to school because it's kind of what you listen. That's kind of what you all talk about, right? When you're when you're that age, you talk about what you saw on TV or, or whatever sports you were watching. Well, Phillies are in the World Series. It's a huge story in our area, even out in Harrisburg. And I remember the feeling of waking up Wednesday morning and can't wait to go talk to my friends, teachers, whoever about the fact the Phillies won the world series. It's a really great. Now you obviously had different feelings because you didn't even go to sleep that night. If I heard the stories correctly. Um, but yeah, they um, it's, it's a, it was a great time. And in Philadelphia, that was a crazy time because the Sixers are really good. The Flyers are really good. The Eagles are really good. Um, that was kind of a legendary time in, in Philly sports, which was unlike any other period they've ever seen in their history. Yeah. And it's interesting. I love that you, you, it hits so close to home to me when you say, uh, you know, your, your favorite era is when you were about 10 years old and it is so true. And when I have guys come on the show, it's, you know, it could be Ron Jaworski. I don't know Ron very well, but I remember those Eagles in 1980 mm -hmm. and Jaws was the quarterback, you know, talking to Dave Parker, not that yeah. Dave, Dave and myself were, were, were buddy, buddy, but I'll tell you when I was 10, the big bad buckos are coming to town and that's Dave Parker who's yep. the, the big red machine, even those Dodgers years. You know, it's the Steve because my dad and the Phillies had that rivalry with yeah. the Dodgers. And it's so cool. And, and you're right. I want to send everything back. My generation, I loved my generation, you know, the 90s, the early 2000s. But my favorite is not the time I played in. It's the time I grew up in. And I think that's a really good point uh, you make. All right. We're getting back to New York. 
what's the relationship? You mentioned there's there's seven newspapers in New York, but what is the relationship between you know, for example, Daily News, The Post, and couple throw in the Jersey papers? What what about them? What's the relationship between the people that work for those individual oh. publications? Yeah, I mean, listen, we're all out there, you know. Everybody's competing against each other. You know, you're looking for the stories. You have you have uh, your own audience that you need to provide stories for, and a lot of it's a lot of it's the same because you're working off the same template. You know, the the, the game is the story, the team is the story. But you're also looking for little individual angles to to separate your stuff, which makes player access and uh, things like that so valuable to being able to tell the stories and. I don't want it to sound like it's always about digging up dirt and having the, you know, the stuff that causes controversy. I think a lot of what we do really well is help tell players stories and shape, you know, shape the um, opinions of those individual players. Um, I think, you know, you got back to the idea of knowing the beat reporters that traveled with you. You know, we're the ones who, who shape your image on a daily basis to the most important audience for you, the one who follows your team every day. I think there's sometimes, um, you know, maybe a, a way of looking down on that part of it, as opposed to the national people that you see from Sports Illustrated or ESPN and uh, MLB Network, and you kind of play up to those guys. But I think if everybody understood the people who see you every day are the ones crafting your image um, I think they might take that relationship differently, but the individual reporters, we're all traveling in the same circles. You know, we all have a competition aspect to it because we want, we want to be the one to get the scoop. We want to be the one to get the story first on who's going where, who signed where, who traded or who's injured, who's, who's this, who's that. And we have that kind of competition between us, but we're also pretty aware that as you travel across the country, uh, you know, pre-COVID, going everywhere around the country uh, all season long, you're going to be in the same places, in the same press boxes, in the same hotels, in the same airports, uh, and you're going to share a lot of time together, a lot of meals, and uh, a lot of time together in closed spaces. So it you know it helps to be able to get along, and you know I had you know I got became very close friends with a lot of people on the beat my first several years where, you know, we saw each other quite a bit. And I, you know, I joke with Mark Feinstein who used to uh, cover the Yankees for both uh, MLB.com and for the daily news. There was a period of time in our lives where we had more meals with each other than we did our spouses uh, because of how much time we spent together during a baseball season. So you better get, you know, it helps. I shouldn't say you better. Everybody's got their own agendas and personalities or whatever, but it helps if you get along with the people that you're seeing because you don't actually work with them. You're working kind of together, if that makes sense. And I think that's an, a distinction that not all players get. You see a pack of reporters of 12 people coming at you. We don't all work for the same place. We're all asking our individual questions because we work for different places. You know, I, I think people want to lump us together as the media and that we all have one job and one agenda, but our paychecks are all signed by different people. We're not part of a team. We don't wear the same uniform. 
been doing this since 2001 covering the Yankees. And uh, I remember you. I, re- I mean, that was, the, it, you know, I had four. Or five oh, I, well, I remember you too, Brett. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. To those listening to the Boone podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to allow Sweeney. If I don't know what I'm in for, but I'm going to let you tell a story of, of your encounter with me. 2001, I think I'm 33 years old. What'd I am away with. Yeah, I'm, and I'm 31 probably by the time the – I turned 31 that summer. So the Mariners came into Yankee Stadium. Oh, and shit. I, <laughs> what did I open here? Go ahead. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, listen, it's not bad. I just – you know, I just remember the first interaction with you because here I am. Listen, I – we've told this part of the story. I'm 10 years old. I'm a Phillies fan. I know all my Phillies from that team. Pete Rose, Manny Trio, Larry Boa, Greg Luzinski, Mike Schmidt, Gary Maddox, and of course, Bob Boone. Right. Uh, and I know there's plenty of others I haven't named, but um, I go in and I'm, I, I'm pretty well aware of the fact that we're about the same age. And I have at least, I have a really good knowledge of what, you know, your, your dad was about. So my first year covering the Yankees, part of it is going to the other clubhouses. Now, now when I go to other clubhouses, I know usually a couple of people in each clubhouse, whether it's through their agents or they played for the Yankees or however I get to know them. But my first year, I don't know anybody in almost any of the clubhouses. So you kind of work your way around and get to try to get to know people. I remember I wanted to go see Mike Cameron because I knew uh, I was, I knew his agent. And um, so I had a connection with Cameron and Cam had just, I think the week before, or maybe even the day before had his four home run game. And then he came to Yankee stadium. So you guys come into Yankee stadium and I'm probably waiting to talk to him or find him. And I see you at your locker and I, you know, I go over and I introduce myself and you're in your locker. Just trying, you know, I forget who you're talking to who was next to you, but you're kind of in your locker reaching for gloves and shoes and stuff like that. I think you shook my hand, but not really a lot of eye contact or anything. There was, you know, so I'm just trying to make small talking it tonight a little bit. And you're kind of, you know, you're, you're not very interested in it. Right. So I, and probably my nerves about the situation because I was a little uneasy with how, you know, I, Like you weren't connecting with me. You had no interest in talking to me. Right. So I'm a little uneasy with this situation. So I said something like, Hey, so what's your dad doing? And now anyway, you know, and I think I mentioned something like, Hey, I grew up, you know, we're about the same age. I grew up watching the Phillies, blah, blah, blah. I say, and because I was a little thrown off my game, I says, what's your dad doing anyway? And you looked up at me and you say, he's managing the Reds, dude. And you looked up, like, whoever was in your locker next to you, like, kind of shook your head. I'm like, oh, like, this guy doesn't know anything, bro. So, yeah, that was my introduction to Brett Boone. Oh, shoot, that was nicer than I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, you didn't curse me out or anything. I just, like, I just, I felt like, and I, like, kind of shook my head. I'm going, of course he's managing the Reds, you dummy. I knew this. Like, I, like You I weren't pr- asking me on a date, sweetie. No, no. I pride myself on, yeah, <laughs> I pride myself on knowing, like, things like that. Because there are a lot of things I don't know. So certain facts and numbers and dates, those are the things that I'm supposed to know. And when I blew a layup just like that... Man, that's that was just embarrassing. Like, okay, I'm gonna go over here and wait for the other guy, and hopefully he doesn't, you know, make me feel even smaller than I did just now. Nice to meet you, Brett, and walk away. <laughs> Whatever that was. Man. 
I'll tell you, I and and that's a funny story. That sounds tip. That's exactly what I would say to you. Who's the new guy here? <laughs> yeah. how, how does he not know this? He, he's got to go to know the basics. But I'll tell you, uh, knowing, getting to know you post career, and and you know, we have chats here and there. Uh, we would we would have got along really good. I love to test. Repo- I love to test reporters. I love to test them, especially when they were new. Mm-hmm. But when they passed the test, they were gold with me, is because I, I always thought it's it's. It's good to get along with the guys that you got to live with, you know, and, and I got along with really? yes. my guys. Yes. I, I had great relationships. It's like umpires to me. You know, I'd go out there and everybody, oh, how yeah. can you like him or how can you like him? I got along with all the umpires because I want that, you know, that pitch that's, that's yeah, an inch right, off the plate. Right. If there's a question, I, I want his subconscious takeover and go, I like Booney Ball. <laughs> and, well, and, it, and, and not, that's to our relationship too, because, and I don't know if enough people understand that, you know, we, you know, we don't root for the teams we cover. Okay. But I'll tell you two, two things that when, when you get to reporters, you ask them very selfishly, what are you rooting for? We'll mostly tell you the same two things. We're rooting for fast games and good stories. Okay. And good stories include, you know, it's not always about controversy. It's simply about something that has some meat to it that you can tell and talk to people about, get asked questions and get good answers from them. And when you're doing it on a daily basis on a beat, you got to be there with these guys for a long time. And it's a, it's a long game. You're playing a long game. You're not just trying to become their best friend on day one, tell their whole life story and walk away. Um, so that's the approach I took. I walked into a Yankees team in 2001 that had just won three straight world series. You know, they have, they have, you know, Jeter and O'Neill and Brocious and Chuck Knobloch and Tino Martinez and Jorge Posada and all these guys. I'm not going in there pretending that, and I work for a pretty big radio station and they know that. Okay. I'm, I'm not covering the Yankees for WFAN. I'm not, you know, not me personally I'm talking about, but I'm not small time, you know. I work for a giant radio station that's going to be watching you guys in every game, in every city you go to for the next eight, nine months here. So um, just know who I am. That's all. And by the, you know, as you get to know people, you're like, I personally was playing the long game. I wasn't trying to become Derek Jeter's best friend on day one. But by the time we got five, six years into the job, I, I was getting along with him pretty well. And if players understood that, you know, you kind of subconsciously, you cut guys slack a little bit when you like them. Well, it's the same thing with umpires, Brett. I mean, if you're looking for that little extra inch off the plate, if you are in a two for 40, maybe I'm going to take it a little bit easier on you than if you and I didn't get along. No, and I, I think it's a great point. It's the human element. Correct. And I, I go I went into that and and you know, I like to joke around a lot about the press and but I'll tell you, I, I looked at it as this is a part of my job. Because I'm I'm who I am and I'm hitting in the lineup where I'm hitting and my salary is X. Yes. That comes with that comes responsibility. And and I took it very seriously. And I said, I'm going to be at the post every night. I'm going to answer good, bad, indifferent. And I'll tell you, the, the members of the press that followed me, I think they respected that as well. So when I needed a time, once in a great while, I'd say, guys, you know, I talk to you every night. Can I get a night off tonight? I just, yeah, yeah. Just uh-huh. to, you know what? They'd Right away, Booney, no problem. You answer the bell every night. We appreciate that. There was a mutual respect there. 
And I'll tell you, if, the, if there was a controversial or, or, you know, things weren't going for great for me at the time or, or for the team, maybe because of the relationships, I, they were a little softer on me. Still, still broke the facts out, still reported, still did yeah. their job, but in a, in, in a kinder way than if I didn't develop those relationships. I tell young players all, all the time. The media is your friend. Doesn't mean you have to love them, but but respect what they have to do. Create a relationship, and it and it's right along the lines of that umpire thing. Doesn't mean you're going to love every umpire, but it doesn't hurt to go out to second base every night. And whoever it is, Dick, Joe, Harry, hey, how you doing today? Hey, where no, you name, last no, night? Right. First thing players, you do. First thing yeah. you do. I tell players, young players, I said, if you want, if you want one secret to building relationship with the media, there are probably two things. There are only two things you probably should know. Okay. Learn their name and where they work. And it will go a long way because just understanding what they do, because they're, if you, if, if I'm around every day for three months and you know, you still don't know my name or you still don't know who I work for, you know, there's a problem here. I get paid a lot. I get paid a lot to, I don't get paid a lot, but I get, I get paid to, <laughs> I get paid to know a lot about you. My job is to know everything about Brett Boone. If I'm covering the Mariners, I need to know his whole history. I need to know what he's doing now. I need to know uh, in pretty good detail statistics um, and all kinds of other details. Um, As I said earlier about shaping your image, I need to know things about you and your family life, what you like to do, um, things that shape your personality. I need to know a lot about you. All I'm asking is for you to know a little about me. So learn my name. And I understand it's harder when there's 10 or 12 of us or 15 of us or whoever. But if you just walk by me one day and say, hey, Sweeney, how you doing? You know, it goes a long way. It shows you at least have some level of respect for what we're doing. And to your point about being there, it's real easy to be there when you've hit two home runs. And six, if you made an error in the seventh inning that cost the team the game, uh, or if you struck out in a big spot, um, you, and, and you're there at your locker then to talk to us about it. That shows us a lot about who you are as a player and what knowing your responsibility, because it's not that you get paid to play baseball. You get paid to play baseball in public. There is a paying audience that if you lose a game, I kind of equate this to, I I feel like this is true around the Yankees and it's probably true to a a lesser degree around other people or on other teams, but I kind of figure about who I'm talking to and who the players are talking to, because your words are going right to the fans after we ask you a question and think about it this way. If you're the New York Yankees and in any given year, maybe not this year, but in any given year, you're going to win a hundred games, right? Um, You and you lose, Let's say you lose eight to one at home. Okay. You've got a family of four that has just spent several hundred dollars to come watch you play that day. And you throw out a stinker or you lose or the big star goes over for four. Um, those guys don't care that you're going to lose. Even a, the best team is going to lose 60 games a year. I spent my $500 to come watch you play today. 
you need to, you know, win eight to one, hit a couple of home runs and make it all look good for me. So I'll go home happy because if I don't, if you've lost and you put up a stinker, guess what? I'm calling WFAN. I'm telling everybody how bad the Yankees are, that this guy needs to get fired and this guy stinks and he should be benched and blah, 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 because I just spent my hard earned money watching you. And when I ask somebody, when I ask somebody a question, Brett, if I ask you what's really kind of a dumb question, like how bad of a loss is this? I know it was a bad loss, but in my mind, the people who are driving home who spent their hard-earned money to come watch you want to hear you say it. They want to hear that you're pissed off. They want to hear that you care just a little bit because they don't care for me to say it was a tough loss. If you have some emotion about talking about how bad of a loss it was and how you need to be better, it might make them feel just a little bit like you care and that it will, it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it completely better. But I feel like if I was a paying fan and spent that much money to come watch you play, I would want to hear something from you that made you understand that you didn't give me my money's worth that day. Yeah. They want answers. And and a lot of the fans driving home, they deserve, they, they think to myself, I deserve an answer for, I just spent X amount of dollars and mm-hmm. I took my kids and you suck tonight, boom. Yeah. I want to hear why you suck. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you that I suck now. It's going to make you feel a little bit better driving home. Well, at least he came out Maybe and he, yes. he was upfront about <laughs> that. That's funny. And, and I think you're right. A lot of players don't think about it that way. They think I suck tonight. I really don't want to to face the press. I, I did it probably midway through my career. I just made a conscious effort. I said I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna approach the media. You know, my time in Seattle, I was kind of. And you mentioned my buddy Cameron. He was one of the other go to guys. He had a big yeah. personality. He was kind of my partner in Seattle, and they'd always go to him. But there, you know, the guys that that that'll hide from you. They'll duck duck and dive from you. And and the relay. Hey, when things go tough. Usually that soft approach I was talking about, you don't give the soft approach to the guys that duck you. Over the years, yeah. over the years, you had any run-ins? You, you ever said anything on air? Next day you get to the clubhouse, you got you got a problem with with one of the players. Or, or has it been relatively your 20 years been, I don't know, drama-free? You know, I... I- I'm I'm kind of a softy, you know. I mean, I'm not I'm not somebody who drives the controversy, but I have people on my radio station who do sometimes. I I've, I've had, you know, I I remember having to answer for Mike and the Mad Dog sometimes. Um I've um I can't recall like the head on this player needs to see me because I said something that really ticked him off. Um I probably didn't have the greatest relationship with, with Alex when he was here, A-Rod, because as the things that followed him later in his career got worse, I, I was probably pretty upfront about that. And I don't, you know, I wasn't one of his allies at that point in time. Um, So I would like, he's one guy where I know that, he and I just didn't see eye to eye, but I can't recall it being something where I said something on this particular day and he came after me about that particular thing. I think it was something that kind of built up over time. Um, you know, but generally I'm generally, I like the players and I understand how hard they work. So I'm the guy, what I always kind of see my job, Brett is I'm trying to bring balance to 
how people are viewing it. If you are going to go overboard and tell me how great this player and this team is, I might try to balance it out with a little bit of, okay, but he still needs to work on this, or they're still not you know, this is still a weakness that they have to figure out or they're not going to win a championship. Um, And if it's the other way around, if you're slamming somebody, I might try to point out maybe some of the difficulties that uh, go into some of the reasons why uh, you have that that player or that team is struggling and look for some of the things. Okay, here's a potential answer. Um, Here's something that maybe if they get through this stretch, this could help them. Maybe when this player gets back, it's a long year. You wait for this streak. So I, I understand. And especially now when the Yankees have been struggling a lot uh, for most of the season, I'm trying to just bring a little balance to saying, okay, well, what does it mean? And what about this? And what about that? And a lot of times it comes off as, you know, making excuses. I, I don't, Think of it as making excuses. I think of it as adding context and just trying to bring a little bit of a balance to the whole picture. I want to show you, I want to give you the whole picture. I don't want to make up your mind for you. I think if we learned anything in this country over the last couple of years, especially in every facet of life, the hardest thing to do is to change someone's mind about an opinion that they have made up. And it is, is true in sports, it's true in politics, it's true in everything else. So I don't think I'm trying to change your mind. I think I just like to add facts and context so that maybe you un- just understand a little bit more despite whatever you're thinking at the moment. Well, I think it's a good point too, because as much as we come out with it, sometimes uh, you can say something that maybe that player says, wow, that's a good point. You know, I've had that happen to me before where I, I'm dead right and I, I have all the answers and how and when you say something smart and I say, you know what, let me think about that. I like that. And, and it's going to make me form my retort in a little different fashion because I didn't think about it that way. I think that's good. I think that's, man, that's how we grow as, as players and, and uh, you know, you being in the media, I, I, I just, I, I think it's a cool thing. It's, it's good. It's healthy debate. And, and I think positive things can come out of that. And it's, listen, and it, 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 it like I said, it comes across badly sometimes um, as far as fans are concerned, because, you know, right now, listen, I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this. Everybody wants, you know, Brian Cashman fired. They want Aaron Boone fired. Um, the team's struggling pretty badly. Right. But I, I don't look at it as, okay, I I think a lot of times what they want is for me, if I'm on their side and I say, okay, Aaron Boone should be fired, then if I go on the radio and say it, then maybe it'll happen. Well, that's that's not happening. You know, I don't have that kind of power. I think more of my job is not to say that Aaron Boone should be fired, but will Aaron Boone get fired? That's what I'm trying to figure out and report on. Uh, I don't think it's my place to campaign for one particular result like that. I think my job is to provide the context to figure out if a move like that is going to happen. And when I point out that the Yankees haven't fired a manager in season in over 30 years, and it's not their style to anymore to make a decision like that, whereas it used to be a generation ago, um, you know, people, then I get accused of, of, you know, kind of, um, you know, you know, carrying water for, for the organization or, or, you know, making excuses for them. I'm, I'm just trying to provide you the facts of what's happening here. And, you know, it's not my place to, to say that this move should be made. I'm trying to tell you what's going to happen. Yeah. Which, which is your job. 
That's your job is is to state the facts, and then people will decipher from those what they want. Uh, speaking of Uncle Aaron, yeah, how are you and Uncle Aaron? How's that relationship? I, I, I think good. The one thing I that um, I I've been doing this long enough that I cover I covered Uncle Aaron as a player. Now right. he was only you know in a Yankee uniform for a little over two months. Um, got traded over at the deadline in 03. And obviously August, September, and you know a little bit of October, and then um, then we know what happened the following spring. But um, uh, I, I, he was, <laughs> I think you and I have talked about this. He was the nice boon, right? He's the nice he, didn't, he is. He didn't put me through my paces um, when I when he first got over here. Plus, I had been doing it for a few years by that point, so I had uh, learned some lessons already. Um, if I had met you at that time, it might have been a little bit different too. But I. Um, I got along with him as a player. He got along with all of us. He was very friendly. And in the years since then, I, you know, I ran into him quite a bit. I would you know, always make a point in the other, when he was in the other dugout or clubhouse, make a point to go say hi and through the end of his playing days. And then as a broadcaster, I would run into him quite a bit and, you know, we, you know, we'd share a conversation, share some notes. So, um, I had I had had just a you know kind of a pretty cordial relationship with him over the course of the 15 years before he got named Yankees manager. Um, I, I I think what I appreciate is that if you know I can find him around batting practice, um, he, I can get maybe a better answer to something about, okay, why did you make this move last night or why did you do this? And he doesn't always show all his cards. But he'll he might give me enough to just help me understand more of how he thinks. So the next time you're in that situation, I have a better idea of what I'm looking at and maybe be able to predict or guess or even just kind of describe to people why certain decisions are made. Um, and I think just, you know, having I, I think he would do that with anybody. But I think just because I've, I've known him for a little while, I have the ability to ask him that every once in a while and, and get a response like that. So and, and again, I've I'm looking at this Yankees team and because I've been doing this for so long, I told I told you about, you know, liking players, and liking coaches and managers because I see how hard they work. I see the hours put in. I see the time. I see how much they care. So when a team underperforms as badly as the Yankees are underperforming right now, I, I can't always lay it at the hands of, oh, they're not trying hard enough. This guy needs to get fired. Like, I don't know what firing the, good firing the manager is going to be because the players are the ones who aren't performing well right now. To me, it's the horses, not the jockeys. And as much as you need good jockeys, these horses are not good enough right now. I don't know why, because they're supposed to be, and most of them were really good two years ago, and now all of a sudden they're not. Um, I kind of, you know... Um, I, I kind of do take up their side a little bit and say, I know, I know the effort going in. I know, you know, how early they get to the park. I know all the things they're thinking. And when you say, well, why do you do this? Why do they do that? I think they have a pretty good reason for it. Um, it's not working right now. And I'm, I'm not, and, and maybe listen, Boney, maybe this is just me doing this too long and having known your brother um, versus being somebody who's coming in with a little more harder edge, I'll admit that that's a possibility. But I think if you look around the rest of the people who are covering 
uh, baseball in general, too. I think the look at the Yankees is more underachieving because they have players who aren't playing well, and it's not necessarily something a manager can change. Yeah, and, and in all my years, uh, you know, and I think I've shared this with you off air, is, is there's not too many times, times after a game I came home, put my head on my pillow, looked up the ceiling and said, man, our skipper really screwed that game up today. You know, it's, 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 it's not even 99 out of a hundred. It's, it's 499 times out of 500. Well, players we did a different way to you. Do you, do you think that you didn't perform as well as you could have? It's not about the moves the manager make, but do you think you or your teammates quit on a manager or didn't play well enough because you didn't like that manager? Uh, I think, and I can't necessarily, I, I would never quit because I'd always, I'd find something selfish and go, I need the numbers for, for next year. So I'm, I'm never going to quit on anything. I'm never going to quit on my team. I'm never going to quit on per se manager. Without a doubt though, there were teams I was on where the manager was an issue. We weren't good at, let's be honest, the, these teams I'm talking about, we weren't good enough anyway. Yeah. But couple, put the manager on top of it in his situation and, and the respect he didn't have in that room, without a doubt, I saw that team as a whole not bring it the way they should bring it. Mm-hmm. If, that may, if, that's, if, if that's fair. Yes, yeah. without, without a doubt, I've seen that. Yeah, and I, and I think you know the situation with the Yankees right now is, I, like, I just, again, look at, I know the manager and the coaches, and I see the work that's going into it. I don't think it's a lack of effort on their part. I think there are a lot of issues, and you know, I think there are certain aspects in which the team is not well constructed, and you can certainly lay that at the hands of the general manager, but I also don't think that's an easy answer. I think it's a complicated answer. I think there are definitely faults to be had, but I also think there are lots of reasons behind it. So I think a lot of times we're always just looking for the for one easy answer. Okay, this team stinks. Well, this it's because of this guy didn't do his job. Let's fire him. Or this player stinks. Okay, let's get him out of here, put somebody else in there. Boom, problem solved. I don't think it's ever that easy. And I think there are so I think there are so many just levels to why this team and maybe any other team you want to talk about is underperforming that I like I I want to give you the complicated answer. I want to give you the seven different reasons why it's happening. I don't want to just say, hey, it's this guy's fault. He should be fired, because I you don't have to pay me to do that. Like I can do that just as anybody else. If you want me to just come on the radio and say, Brian Cashman stinks, he should be fired, you know, that's not that hard. I can do it, but I mean, what are you paying me for? What's my job? I should be providing layers of this to help really paint the bigger picture. Uh, that's the way, that's just the way I've, I've kind of felt about it. And right, once you get, once again, you get back to, I, I want to give you the facts. Why should he be? You know, right. no, it, it's it, the nuances are, are endless. And, and I completely understand what you're talking about. I had Jeremy Roenick, NHL All-Star, mm-hmm. nine-time All-Star on the, on the podcast recently. He's done a lot, uh, you know, NHL uh, broadcasting. And the two things he said that were demanded of him, he said you had to be educational and informative while he's on the air. What does the new – what do – the New York sports fan demand from the media in New York? Uh, I think they want us to hold, hold the people accountable. I think they just want you know, and this goes kind of goes back to what we're saying and, and just my approach to it. Um, 
But I, I mean, in general, I think if you're informative and entertaining, I think that's a, that's, that's a, those are in general, those are the first two tools you have to have if you're going to be in any media, not just New York. Um, I think you have to be, I, have to, I think you have to demonstrate a knowledge of the team you're covering, not just what they are now, but have a, at least a knowledge of their past and their history. It's one of the things I kind of take pride in. I'm not from here. I didn't grow up in New York. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I didn't grow up every day um, with, with the Yankees, but I, I knew baseball. I knew baseball history very well. So I, I had a pretty good base knowledge of, of Yankees history. Like, and just because they're the Yankees, almost any baseball fan has some base level knowledge of it growing up. But, you know, I, I took pride in knowing what I knew about them and then learning more as I, as I did the job. I think, you know, I, I just think they want people to know what they're talking about and have you know, have the stuff to back up what they're saying and, and be honest about it. I think they want you to be honest. I don't think they ever want you to like, I can see why some of the things I say might be sugarcoating, but I've given you the kind of the context of what I'm, what I try to do and the balance I try to provide. But I think when a player is bad, I think they want you to just acknowledge that he's bad and, I think in those instances, the player would acknowledge it too. Um, I don't take it to the extreme of, like I said, like like this player has to get cut tomorrow or this person has to get fired tomorrow. But I think I just want you to be honest about how bad a team is, or uh, and what are some of the the reasons that 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 that's happening. So, in entertaining and informative, I think are two tools across the board, no matter what you're doing in this business. Um, but you have to, you're only going to build your integrity by being honest about what you're seeing. And, you know, I, I hope I've done that to a, you know, to pretty good degree. I don't think I've told anybody that I think this Yankees team is going to the world series this year. I mean, maybe I did before the season started because I think we all did, but I mean, I, I just kind of look at it and say, let's, let's see how, let's see what happens after these eight games against the Red Sox. Let's see where they are. They're going to tell you a lot about that, uh, about who they are then. But, um, I don't think I've gone after any of these losses and say, listen, it doesn't matter. They're going to weigh in a row starting tomorrow. You know, I'm not that dumb. Um, but I, I just think people like, they don't want to be lied to. They don't want, uh, they can read through that. So hopefully I've never done that. Sweeney Murdy, smart man, knowledgeable man, WFAN pre and post New York Yankees been covering them 20 years. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Booney. I always I, I like listening to your interviews. I'm uh, happy to be a part of one. Hope I provided. It's time for the Boone Podcast All Star Break First Half Review. Let's welcome CBS Sports Radio's Rich Herrera, along with WFAN's Sweeney Murty and the Boone himself, Brett Boone. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Rich Herrera with you as we take a look at the second half of the season and review what happened in the first half. Of course, Sweeney Murdy, WFAN, joining us and the host of the podcast, Brett Boone. Hey, guys, I enjoyed your conversation about the inner workings of the media in New York and Sweeney. I don't know if you remember this. I, I'm not a regular beat reporter the way you are, but there was one spring that I was assigned to cover the Yankees clubhouse in, in Booney. I'm not making this up. 
I'd go to Sweeney because there's so many people standing there and there's so many different reporters. Sweeney had to tell me where to stand <laughs> during a A-Rod, A-Rod watch. And he gave me just the right spot to stand on the opposite side of him. And he had to give me all, I, I've been doing this for 20 years, but he had to give me all the, uh, the ins and outs of covering the Yankees clubhouse. So he was, he, was he nice about it, Rich? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so he was, so he was more of an Aaron Boone than a Brett Boone is what you're saying. Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, no wonder, no wonder him and Aaron are buddies. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. All I mean, right. For, for years and years and years, we both worked in the American league. East, so I'd see Sweeney, you know, yeah. two, three, four times a year, we'd see each other at spring training all the time. So oh, he was one hundred percent Aaron Boone. Yeah, see that, and and Rich wasn't a Brett Boone, you know. So I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> I'm starting to think I'm like a. I don't really exist. Well, no, you, <laughs> you just have to wear it, Booney. That's that's the expression, right? You I did wear. I think I've been wearing it for a long time. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. All right, let's get to let's get to the first half of the 2021 season. So I'll pose this question to both of you. We'll start with Booner, uh, Booney. The biggest story of 2020 for 2021 for you is what? Biggest story, I'd have to say it's not even close. It's uh, Otani in, in, out in Anaheim. What he's doing, um, you know, and I think, you know, it's a pretty obvious one. But I, I think none of us have ever seen anything like this. I mean, in the fact that he's he's not just having – I'd be impressed if he was sitting here now hitting 250 with nine homers and, and 39 RBIs playing every day. This guy's leading baseball in home runs, and he's taking the mound every fifth day with a three Ernie. Uh, I know they like to say Babe Ruth did it way back when. I don't think the game's ever seen anything like this. You might as well give him the MVP trophy right now. And the only thing is, and now I'm just going to turn on my, you know, I'm going to put my fan hat on. I'm watching him every day going, this is so cool. Because nobody can do it. And I'm just wondering, how do we keep this guy healthy? You know, it's like it's almost too good to be true for a for a baseball story. For uh, I, I couldn't imagine a cooler storyline. I just want to see if he can stay intact, stay healthy for 162 games and see what really comes out of it from the pitching side and, and, and also the offensive side. It's Sweeney. On the offensive side, remember, he's doing this without Mike Trout in the lineup. Albert Pujols is now playing in Los Angeles. To be able to do what he's doing in that lineup, missing two of the big bats that he's going to have in there is impressive. And watching him throw after having arm uh, issues a couple of years ago, it is something to behold. I just got through watching a four-game series, Angels at Yankees, and um, he was impressed. I know he got knocked out in the first inning. And that happens to even the best pitchers, right? So um, I, I think the Yankee fans uh, who you know came to see him, you know, he listen. He got jeered at Yankee Stadium as he walked off that mound because here was this big bad show. You know, it's not exactly the house that Ruth built; it's across the street. But you know, you, when you start talking about Babe Ruth and he gets bombed in the first inning, um, you know, the fans are going to treat him a certain way. But I agree with with Boney about him being like the biggest, especially the biggest feel good story from, you know, from that perspective of it, because listen, I don't care if he's pitching to a five and a half earned run average. If he's taken the mound that many times and going to hit 50 home runs or more, that's still more than anybody else has ever even tried to do in this sport for a very long time. The fact that he's still that good and bounce back and give up what two runs over seven against the Red Sox in his next start 
after that Yankees game, you know, he is doing something that we haven't seen in a very long time. Now, if you want to be Babe Ruth, you're going to have to hit 50 home runs a few more times and, you know, talk to me in 10 years and tell me where it is. But I agree with you, Brett, about just the idea of keeping him healthy to the point where if we see this level of player for, I don't know, four more years, I think we're going to talk about him forever. I think we're going to talk about him for, you know, as, as one of these greats. Um, it doesn't have to be a Hall of Fame career. It doesn't have to be a Mount Rushmore career. I think if you see him do this to any particularly good level for the next three, four seasons, I think it's going to be amazing. I, I don't think we need to put it on any sort of pantheon to keep from enjoying what we're seeing right now this in this year. All right, Swinney, what's your biggest story outside of Otani in 2021? Well, it was like that was my number one, but the other the other one I wrote down, I wrote down Spider Tech. You know, this is changing the game, um, and it's um, it's been something that has you know this is the downside. I told you Otani was the feel good. You know, Spider Tech is the biggest story of you know, the crackdown because it's affecting how the game is played. And when you're talking about potential rules changes and the idea that, you know, the no fun side is we're heading for a labor war in the off season. And this is all part of it. It's part of the lead up to it. That's my other big story because how much it has affected the game in the last month. Booney, when you look at what pitchers are able to do by putting that sticky stuff on their hands, getting better rotation of the ball. I think sometimes people lose lose track because there's all these these sabermetric terms that people don't get, fielding independent pitching. And I tell you, well, I can evaluate a pitcher not by what his, his ERA is, but uh, strikeouts, uh, home runs, and walks only, and anything put in play, he doesn't. he's not responsible for. You look at people like they got two heads when they say things like that. So when he gets to the spider tack, we start just overusing the word spin rate on it what exactly are they doing that's changing the game that that the commissioner is trying to, to to correct? Well, I think I think the reason it's come to a head is is you just mentioned it spin rate. Uh, even back eight, nine, ten years ago, there was no uh, spin rate analytic. We didn't do it. We just called it a great slider. Now all of a sudden, everything's being tracked. Exit velos being tracked. The ground ball is short. You know exactly what it is. That slider, you know exactly how many RPMs it is. Now all of a sudden, you start doodling along. Some players call out some pitchers, and now they start monitoring the spin rate. And all of a sudden, you see something out of the norm. Uh, a red flag is thrown up. Well, he's got to be using something. Wait a minute. We're seeing this across the board. We're seeing a lot of these spin rates fluctuate higher than they should be. Players are talking about it. Must be an issue. Well, as a hitter, I don't want that pitcher having any foreign substance. The tough part always has been because they've always done it. And for these guys to say, no, you got to grip, got to get a grip on the ball. It all started is to throw your slider harder, to get a better grip on it, to have a tighter spin. That's why you use a sticky substance, a pine tar. These pitchers can say whatever they want to say. They're, to me, it's kind of, well, we've been using it for so long. Now, how are we not supposed to use it? Well, I agree with that. That being said, it's always been illegal to have a substance on the ball. Now, all of a sudden, you're being called out for it. Maybe a lot of these guys have been doing it for 10 years. Now they're going to be checked at the first and the third baseline between innings, which, by the way, I think is ridiculous in all theater. Hmm. That being said, 
it, it can be a, a, a different comfort. If, if, if I wear a wristband for 10 years in a row and you tell me I can't wear, I'm going to go hit and go, man, I don't feel the same without my wristband on. So now it maybe becomes a grip issue, but going into it, there was never a grip issue. It was to throw a tighter, harder slider. Now you're taking it away from them. I still think they're going to find a way to use whatever they need to use. It might be on the, on the catcher's shin guard in between pitches. It might come from, from a second baseman. It might come from a shortstop. You're not going to walk out there with a bottle of something and have it in your back pocket, but they're going to find a way to get whatever they need on that ball. I just think the way we're going about it, uh, a little bit Mickey Mouse for me, especially the way it started. Scherzer kind of made when you've got players making a mockery of the process. I don't think it's good for the game. I think it's bad optics. Um, so I don't know. I don't have that answer for you. I think uh, I think the commissioner of baseball got kind of pushed into a corner that you got to do something. You got to do something. You got to do something about it. All of a sudden, they're in a room just doing they come up with this brilliant idea that we're going to randomly check you in the bottom of the first and all of a sudden it becomes fodder for all the news agencies for tv you're putting cameras on that and it's turned into a bit of a sideshow i think going forward you're going to have a little bit less but it's so tough to decipher what are they going to find is is everything every glove going to go to a lab to say if this was on it or that there's so many different substances pitchers have different basically they just want it sticky they don't care what how you make the product it's what's the the end result i think it's a nightmare i don't I, I, I agree with Sweeney that this is a nightmare heading into a potential nightmare with this basic agreement uh, that's going to be due this offseason. I think it's not good for the game, and I think there there's some trouble trouble waters coming. Sweeney, when you're watching a game every day because you're at Yankee Stadium, you're traveling with the Yankees, are you seeing different movement? Are you seeing something that you didn't see five, ten years ago? Well, I think the results tell us that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be the, the pitching coach eye of everything. And, uh, but the, the data tells you what it tells you and the results tell you what, it, what it tells you, you know, um, it's, it's just harder to hit. And I think the, the batters have, have talked about that, um, for the last couple of years now, because it's gone to a different level. It, it's not the same old, here's a little pine tar to, to make sure I throw my curveball a little bit better or don't put it in your ear. Um, it's gone to the performance enhancing side of things. And there's an entertainment value that has, has, you know, be, become impacted now. And that's, I, I agree. I don't like that it happened in the middle of the season and the way it's done, but what I think happened was that I don't think Major League Baseball wanted to play another four months of the same game and watch October baseball become truly dreadful and awful to watch, um, you know, declining audiences and satisfaction, and then go into a labor war. I, I don't think they wanted to go down that path for the rest of the season. So they did what they could do with the letter of the law without negotiating. They said, okay, there's something, there's a rule already in the books. We can enforce that without needing any sort of approval from the players union. If you want to talk about changing the ball, the tack on the ball, or making some legal combination of substances that you are allowed to put on the ball, that's a negotiation. And we all know how long a process that takes for Major League Baseball. So with four months of a season left, with declining offense and audience dissatisfaction, 
I think they took the step that they kind of had to take to see if they could push it back in the right direction and give the fans some sort of enjoyable product by the time you got to October instead of seeing something that nobody wanted to watch. All right, Tony, you're up first for this one. What's your biggest surprise of 2021? The Red Sox and the Giants. These are two teams that, you know, if you drew up the standings at the beginning of the year, the Red Sox were not supposed to be this good, and they were staring up at the Yankees. The Giants were not supposed to be this good, and they were staring up at the Dodgers. Um, I can probably point to a number of prognostications that had a Yankees-Dodgers World Series uh, lined up. I probably said the same thing. I don't remember because I don't put too much stock in predictions. I, I'm either lucky or I'm, uh, or I'm wrong. Those are the only two options when I make predictions. So, um, But I think those are the two leading teams in each league by most people's opinions. And the fact that the Red Sox have sustained this, whether they can over the final three months, we'll see. The fact that the Giants are battling the Dodgers and Padres, who we all saw as the top teams over there, um, that's a huge surprise. Uh, I mean, Kevin Gossman doing what he's doing. Um, that's um, those two teams. Biggest surprise for you have Gossman and Evaldi uh, leading these two teams where they are. Absolutely biggest surprise for me. Booney, what's your biggest surprise of 2021? Red Sox and the Giants. I, I, I hate to admit it, but I'm, I'm, we're we're more like-minded than we think, sweetie. <laughs> Without a doubt, it's the Red Sox, especially in that division, you know, um, over there with the Yankees in Tampa Bay. There's no way you could you you could forecast the Red Sox being in the position that they're in right now. you got Evaldi at the top of the rotation. Uh, they've got a lot of star power on the offensive side over there in Boston. Devers and Martinez, Bogarts, Vertigo, Renfro's come back, you know, kind of – Kind of a, a reinvention of himself, doing a doing a great job for him over there. Evaldi, like I said, he's he's the ace of the staff. That bullpen's been good for him, better than people expected. Move over to the Giants uh, once again. <laughs> for me, the two best teams in baseball are are right behind them: the Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. Yet they're not even leading the division. The Giants are. Nobody expected the Giants. If the Giants are sitting in last place right now. 99% of the sports world going, yeah, that's what we predicted. But to see the Giants doing what they're doing, you mentioned gossip, that whole staff. I mean, the Penn's done a great job over there. They got they got a low threes, I think, their ERA, 3-2-9. Uh, still, not the, not the uh, offensive prowess that the Red Sox has. Uh, you know, you got, you got the star and Buster Posey. Uh, Belt and Longoria have been hurt. But uh, I'll tell you, two huge surprises – Boston, I think, has a chance in that division. The way that division is as uh, is shaping up at this point in the season, I think when you turn to the National League West, I don't think the Giants can continue this pace, especially with the teams chasing them in that division. All right, let's move on. Biggest disappointment of twenty twenty one. We'll start with you, Sweeney. That's Uncle Aaron's. Yankee team right now. I mean, no way that this roster should be battling to stay over 500. The all-star break staring at double digits um, deficit in the AL East. 
Um, their performance against the Red Sox early in the season, their performance against the Tampa Bay Rays early in the season, and just an overall lack of offense. That's starting to come around a little bit, but it wasn't a light switch that flipped on. It's kind of a flickering candle that you're waiting to see how big the flame can get uh, to uh, to light this up. The You have DJ LeMay, who's starting to come back a little bit. Aaron Judge has had a really good year. Gary Sanchez has found himself a little bit. Giancarlo Stanton. He's just streaky. That's just kind of what you have to live with. Luke Voigt has had a hard time staying healthy. Glaber Torres isn't there. Gio Urshela is, is who he is. So there's a little bit of hope there. But just as you say that, the pitchers have struggled. Certainly the rules changes have had a lot to do with what Garrett Cole is going through. Perhaps a role as Chapman. Uh, but through the first two months of the season, you know, Cole and Chapman were the two Yankees' two best pitchers. Now they're not. There's a lot to be disappointed about with who the Yankees are at the halfway point of the season. And I don't think you can overstate that. Brett, what's your biggest disappointment? Who uh, Who's not living up to expectations? I would say the Braves and the Twins. I, I don't know what happened to the Twins. If you told me they're sitting in last place with no chance of, of recovering, uh, I'd say you're crazy at the All-Star break, but that's where they are. You know, you still got Nelson Cruz at 40-whatever at he is. He's still hitting. He's still got All-Star numbers. He's hitting 300. He's got 18 homers, 45 ribbies. You go over to the Braves. Uh, that had a lease for me. Atlanta was the class and, and on paper, they were the class. There was no doubt about it. Some things have fallen through for them and, and it's not going as well. It's a tightly knit any, they can still have plenty of time to, to, to rally there in, in that NL East. But, uh, Man, Atlanta for me has been a disappointment to this to this point. Almost got four and a half ERA as as that pitching staff. Freed hasn't been what he was a year ago, and and you only got better. You you know you had Morton come over from Tampa Bay. He's in the middle of that rotation. Uh, I still think Atlanta can pull it out, but you know, so so my overall biggest loser, uh, biggest disappointment's got to be on those Twins. All right, let's walk through the divisions and what we've seen so far and some of your expectations. Let's start with the American League East, Sweeney. That's your beat that you cover every day. Give me your thoughts on what we've seen in the American League East and what you're expecting in the second half. Yeah, I mean, we covered this a little bit with biggest surprise and biggest disappointments. I don't want to repeat too much of that, but the Red Sox trying to hold on to this and uh, and and stay where they are, I think, is a big part of the story and seeing if the Yankees can get off the deck at all. They have eight games against each other uh, in very short order right out of the All-Star break. It's a four-game series in New York. Then the Yankees play the Phillies two games. I don't know who the Red Sox have. Then they play four more at Fenway Park. And then the Yankees play the Rays three at Tropicana right after that. So uh, a big ALE shuffle here. If the Yankees get hot in late July, they could impact this a little bit. If they don't, well, then it's Boston and Tampa Bay uh, fighting to the finish there. And, you know, you never discount the Rays. I think people wanted to look at them as kind of taking a step back after losing Snell and losing Morton. And to me, it's always, well, listen, if the Rays are letting pitchers go, then I'm a little scared because they know something the rest of us don't. 
They're still really good. Uh, I don't know if they have enough to overtake the Red Sox. The Blue Jays are kind of hanging around, and the, the only thing I was curious about them is you know, they have a lot of young sluggers who haven't had to play a full-season pennant race. And I was kind of looking at what kind of pressure would they be under and how would they respond if they got to September 1st, still in the race, and playing those last 30 games when they're tired and trying to get through it and trying to deal with the pressure of playing every single day for a win that gets them into the playoffs. They're not in that position yet. I don't know if they're going to get there. That was kind of the way I was looking at it. And Baltimore is still, you know, they're still a ways away. They're just not very good. And unfortunately for, you know, a, a city and a, a, a franchise that was once very good. Brett. Uh, ju- Go ahead, Brett. No, AL East. AL East. Uh, you know, I, obviously, Sweetie sees this on a daily basis. He's going to have a little better insight than I'm going to have on all the teams. I think uh, I'll keep mine brief. I think the Orioles are the only team completely out of it in that division. What I've seen from that New York Yankee team over the last three years, uh, nothing would surprise me. If all of a sudden, you know, they got healthy in a, in a, in a hurry, if Kluber came back in the second half, Severino, Britain got healthy. Uh, they went out and made a few uh, – uh, acquired a few players. Anything could happen to that Yankee team. A lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, Cole, he's had some recent problems. He's got to get back on track. Um, but I wouldn't count him out. This Toronto team, I don't think they have enough pitching to, to really go past and to win that division. That, that Tampa Bay is maybe the most resilient team in all of baseball. Uh, like I said, like we mentioned, Morton's gone. Uh, last year from that team. Anderson start, you know, you lose him for the season, I think, with Tommy John. Snell goes to the Padres, and, and they're still in the position they are. The problem is now is their best pitcher, Glass now. He's down. He's hurt. That offense is pretty mediocre, pretty ordinary, but I'll tell you, they play the game right. Tampa Bay is as resilient as there is a ball club out there. I would never count them out. And obviously, Boston still – they're my biggest surprise, but they're at the top of the division. I think it's going to be about – I can't count anybody out in that division except for the Baltimore Warriors. All right, uh, Brett, we'll stay with you. Let's talk about the, the American League Central. American League Central, I've said from the beginning, it's the White Sox. You know, they just got rid of they, – they just released, I believe, Adam Eaton. Madrigal, their, their, their second baseman, their rookie, was having a hell of a year for him. He's out for the season. They're – their rookie sensation Mercedes that was uh, stealing all the headlines early. He's he's got sent to Triple A. So you got Abreu, the reigning MVP, Anderson, the the perennial All Star, Moncada. Uh, I still think they're the class of that division. I think that's probably the weakest division in baseball. You got Detroit, Kansas City, and Minnesota bringing up the rear, uh, and Cleveland barely hanging on. But recently, they've run into a lot of problems too. Saval, Bieber, and Plesac, their big three in the rotation, all hurt right now. That offense is is pretty ordinary without you know, except for Reyes and Ramirez, who's their perennial all star over there in Cleveland. I see it's a cakewalk. I think for the White Sox, they're they're getting healthy now. Jimenez, who's been out all year, he's going to be there in the second half, and their center fielder Roberts coming back. They're expecting him right after the break. I think that's just the class of the division. They got the best closer probably in the American League right now, and Hendricks. Uh, I think definitely the White Sox are the class of that division. Sweeney, quick thoughts on the Central? 
Yeah, I mean, the White Sox are running away with this, and the Indians are limping into the break. If they get healthy at all, you know you know they have some guys who have experience and were, you know, were a very good team last year. Terry Francona is a good manager who's always kind of in the middle of it. Everybody else is, you know, kind of also ran in that division. Uh, I'm surprised that, you know, Cleveland's fallen off like this, but, you know, Brett talked about some of the reasons for it. The White Sox are dealing with their injuries, and, you know, we'll see where they land at the end of the year here because they've been one of the best teams in the league all year. Sweeney, let's jump over to the uh, American League West where you just saw the Anaheim Angels. Yeah, I saw the Angels, and, you know, like we talked about, you know, if, if Trout was there, boy, it would be fun to see what Trout and Otani could do together. And if they had enough pitching, what the Angels could do with those types of players and maybe getting into October. But this is Houston against Oakland. Uh, it's, you know, the Astros, you know, boat raced them in the first week of the season. And uh, that's kind of the difference right now between those two teams. Uh, I mean, kind of interesting. That might be the best race. You know, Houston and Oakland are two pretty good teams, and that might be the best race by the time, uh, you know, we get through the end of this season. And the Astros are, you know, a, a really good offense. Uh, the A's always seem to figure out how to do it, and they, you know, they get really good pitching performances. Uh, that might end up being the best race uh, we see in the American League by the time this is done. Brett? Uh, I'm, I'm going to agree with that. It, you know, it's a it's a two team race in that division. Houston and Oakland. Houston's a class, maybe the class of baseball on the offensive side, just up and down that lineup. Uh, just in today's era, where we're talking launch angle and home runs, these guys are good hitters, and they always have been, and they're getting it done again. Surprising to me with an aging Granky uh, coming back, uh, not. Some some lesser known McCullers coming back after an injury. They pitch their butts off, and and they're at the top of the division over there. You can never discount the Oakland A's. For me, they're kind of like the like Tampa Bay. They just never go away. And the twenty years I've been watching these Oakland A's, they 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 the turnover is unbelievable. There's new faces all the time, and they continue. Each and every year, they're always fighting for a playoff spot. I will never count out the Oakland A's. For me, I think Houston's a class of that division, and they're going to win that division. All right, let's stick with Brett. What about the uh, National League East? National League East, uh, kind of a weird division. I thought, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I thought Atlanta was the class of that division. I still think they are. Uh, Philly's not for real. The Mets, for me, they're not that exciting. I mean, you got DeGrom, best pitcher in the world, and Stroman's having a nice year. Walker's having a nice year. Pitching overall is doing a heck of a job for the Mets. And and usually, you know, pitching usually wins in the end. That usually goes to the postseason and makes it deep in the postseason. That's starting pitching. Mets definitely have it in that division. I still think Atlanta's got a chance to close the gap and, and win that division. I'm going to say they are going to do that. Washington, just too many questions. You got Scherzer. He's probably going to be on the market looking for some big return. But for me, you need to have a, a, a healthy, well-pitching Corbin and a, and a healthy pitching like he can Strasburg. They don't have that this year. A couple feel-good stories. You got Turner having a really nice year, almost MVP uh, over there, the, the shortstop Schwarber's had that awesome story for baseball where he, where he, I think he hit 16 home runs in 18 games. So you got some stories. You got, for me, one of the best hitters in, in the game in Soto. So you've got some fun stories over there in Washington. This isn't their year. Miami's out of it. I'm picking Atlanta to win, but the Mets are doing it right now. Sweeney? 
Yeah, listen, I like what the Mets are doing. Um, and the reason why is, you know, you touched just a little bit on DeGrom. I look at the Mets and say, this could be the 1988 Dodgers and Jacob DeGrom could pull an Oral Hershiser and just lift a team that by the, you know, by the sum of its parts is better uh, than what you might look at in the roster. And the roster actually isn't bad. They just underperformed a little bit. But if you look at Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso and Michael Conforto, they, you know, you probably have some better players than maybe that 88 Dodgers team did. Uh, and that team won a lot of games somehow. And Oral Hershiser carried them down the stretch and through the postseason. I see DeGrom potentially being able to do that kind of thing and throwing the complete games and coming out of the bullpen on the days in between. Um, and it's a longer ride because of the extra rounds in the postseason. So maybe you can't push him quite so far, but it feels like he is pitching so historically well that he might be able to do that for this team. And, um, you know, they've, you know, they've put themselves in a good spot as they uh, approach the break here. And, and I think it'd be real cool if they could, if they could make some sort of run like that and put DeGrom on a stage where he can show in meaningful games, what he's capable of doing. Um, let's talk a little bit about the central Sweeney. We'll stick with you. Well, you know, the Cubs have kind of fallen apart here, right? And uh, I think that's a team that we kind of thought had enough talent to get it together. I'm not sure anybody believes that the Reds are in this for the long haul. The Cardinals have had injuries to deal with. This is this is the Brewers, and they they just might run away with this division by the time it's all said and done. Um, there's There's some talent in those other teams that I mentioned, but they've had enough problems in the first half and the Brewers just keep chugging along. Um, this division might become a little bit more of a runaway in the second half. Brett? Uh, without a doubt, the, the class of that division. I think, you know, I was never a Cubs guy uh, from the get-go. You know, I think they're going to be sellers at this at this trade deadline. And, and somebody, some other teams out there might get some good parts. Uh, but, I, I, but I never was in on the Cubs. I was in on St. Louis. Uh, Flaherty went down. They're just not pitching well. They're, as a staff, they're almost got a four-and-a-half ERA, and offensively, they're just not good enough. Arenado's having a, a pretty good year. Goldschmidt's doing doing all right for for his standards. Uh, I'm with Sweeney on Cincinnati. I don't think they're, they're a real player in that division. Milwaukee uh, might have the best starting pitching in all of baseball. And as a guy that did it for a lot of years, uh, that's what I lean on. And, and I want on my team when push comes to shove and go into that postseason. The best starting pitching in baseball usually is the ones that go deep into the postseason. Without a doubt, Milwaukee in that division. All right, Booney, we're going to stay with you. Let's talk about the National League West. National League West, my favorite division. I'm out here on the West Coast watching these Giants and wondering how are they doing it. Man, I, I think all of a sudden there's a lot of questions. I, the best team in baseball for me, all things being said, everybody healthy is the Los Angeles Dodgers, the, the reigning world champion. But, man, there's a lot of questions. Betts has had a rough first half for, for what we expect out of him MVP-wise. Uh, Muncy's been doing a lot of the same that he does. Turner's that constant at third base. The big, the big guys that have been missing a big part of the first half is Bellinger and Seager. Now, for me, these are two MVP caliber players. They're going to be healthy for the second half. That's going to bode very well for the Dodgers. But we just found out that Kershaw is going on the I.L., and everybody knows what's going on with Trevor Bauer. 
Now that changes the game a lot in what happens to Trevor Bauer. Does he come back in a week from now and pitch out the rest of the season? If all, if Bauer, Bueller, Kershaw, Urias, Jensen is having a huge comeback year as the closer in the pen. If they all come back and pitch like they're capable, I think the Dodgers are the class of baseball, not just this division. Moving on to the Padres, man, just watch that Padres-Dodgers uh, four-game set down here, or a three-game set. I think, I think the Padres swept them. That's a hungry team right there. I've seen teams before, the energy they have right now, uh, and they got a little chip on their shoulder because the Dodgers, I think, are kind of kind of ditching them as, hey, you're not a real rival. Well, they're proving that they are a real rival. Tatis, one of the best players of the game, probably the MVP of the National League in the first half. Uh, you got Machado, who's starting to come on, play with play like that MVP is. You got this Cronenworth kid at second base, really good player. And Fam Grisham, and Myers are doing what they do. Uh, Really good pitching staff. You Darvish, I was I was a big critic of that. Not a critic of the trade, but I was very skeptical that can you Darvish continue at that pace? I, I saw him have some Cy Young votes last year, but that was a sixty game season. I was kind of thinking you Darvish was on the other side of getting a little older now, but he's proven me wrong. He's got a two six. He's the anchor of that staff. Musgrove's come along. He he's been a great guy in that number two hole. Snell's had a rough first half, but. But Snell is too good of a pitcher to continue to struggle like that. Young kid in Weathers, the son of a, a of a relief pitcher that I played with in Cincinnati, David Weathers. He's their fourth starter. Man, these Padres, nothing will surprise me. Nothing will surprise me. I think the Dodgers, the Padres are the two best teams in baseball. But if I got a pick right now, I'm going to guess that some things go right for these Dodgers. Dodgers end up winning that division. Sweeney. Yeah, I'm going to defer to Brett mostly on this division because of how closely he watches it. But I kind of agree with you on the Dodgers. As many hits as they might be taking with Bauer or Kershaw or whatever else, they're usually so deep in pitching. And uh, and they still have a lot of really good arms there. That I, I And they're battle-tested with what they did last year. I think you, uh, I, I think you look at them as a team that's, that's going to be at the top of it by the time it's done. But San Diego's doing a lot of great things. You mentioned all their great performers and their young stars. Uh, I think the big question is whether or not we believe the Giants can keep it up. Uh, this might be – what do we say? We said that the uh, the AL West was going to be the best race in the American League with Houston and Oakland. This is clearly going to be the best race. You know, I think the National League has a lot of teams that are there, but as far as, you know, you know that's – that, that might almost be a war of attrition. I think you've got three teams that might just play at a really high level with the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres down the second half and make that the most exciting race in the National League. All right, we talked a lot about the different teams. We talked a lot about Otani and uh, some of the sluggers. Uh, Sweeney, who is your American League first-half Cy Young Award winner and uh, MVP? You know, the uh, well, the MVP is pretty easy. It's Otani, okay? Um, he's just the best player. And I know the Angels aren't, um, you know, winning anything right now. But I'm not ready to put anybody else, um, you know, unless unless I see one of these guys like Devers or Bogarts or Martinez have a great second half and carry the Red Sox, I'm not ready to put any of those guys in the MVP conversation over Otani. Uh, I just think Otani's generational and amazing. What we talked about before, um, best player. 
call him the MVP. Cy Young is a little trickier because I don't think there's a standout pitcher right now in the American League. Um, you know, the, the White Sox obviously have a couple of guys, but I was looking at, you know, who's having the best year. Oddly enough, again, not a guy who's on a winning team. I'm looking at Kyle Gibson and the year he's had with the Rangers, and I'm saying, you know, something like that should be noticed. I don't think that it's you know going to be Cy Young worthy by the time we're done this year, but he started out 6-0, ERA under two. The day we're speaking, he got bombed a little bit, so uh, the ERA took a hit and he took his first loss, but I thought that was a that was pretty impressive run for Gibson over the course of the first first half of the season here. And if you could keep up that pace, he'd be in the discussion. I don't think anybody's separating themselves yet. You know, Evali's having a really good year for the Red Sox. Garrett Cole was having a fantastic year for the Yankees. If he can ever figure out what's happening with his grip and uh, and get through a strong second half, you know, you put him back in the conversation, maybe Radon with the White Sox. But, you know, as you and as we were talking and figuring this out, I kind of wanted to throw a little, you know, just throw a little uh, love to Kyle Gibson. And then he went and got knocked around. So I'm still going to give him my vote for uh, this first half. Brett, who do you got for your first half uh, um, Cy Young and American League uh, MVP? MVP, obviously, you've got to go with Otani. I think if it was any other year and Otani wasn't doing what he's doing, uh, I'm going to go with Vladdy Guerrero Jr. having an unbelievable year in Toronto. But it's Otani. Uh, the Cy Young, I agree with Sweeney on, on the Cole thing. If it's three weeks ago, uh, probably going to give it to Garrett Cole. But it's not three weeks ago, so I'm going to go with Carlos Rodon, 7-3 and three with a 2-3. 130 punch outs. Uh, nobody expected it out of nowhere. Uh, Giolito is supposed to be the anchor of that staff. He had a little problems early, and and Rodon, he, he picked up the slack. I'm going to give him uh, my Cy Young for the first half in the American League. Okay, let's jump over to the National League. Uh, Brett, we'll stay with you. Give me your Cy Young. Give me your MVP. Cy Young, I don't think it goes without saying DeGrom. He's doing things that uh, that – I don't know if anybody's ever done. I think he's got a one ERA or is it even under one? It's something ridiculous. His punch out to walks race uh, ratio is ridiculous. He's got 146 punch outs. Uh, it's not even close for me. It's, it's definitely DeGrom with the Mets. MVP, uh, for me, I, it's got to be Tatis. He's hitting 327 homers. He's got 58, 58 ribbies. And I'll tell you what he brings to that team. Uh, if you if you haven't watched him, it's rock star level. It's Alex Rodriguez as a young player. He's got 19 stolen bases, and and I mentioned it the other day. You know when when this kid hits a ball in the gap, he's not thinking double. He's thinking triple. He plays his, this game as hard as anybody I've seen, except for when he hits a home run. Who knows what he's going to do with his, you know, what what antics are going to go out there. But I'm just talking about when he gets a base hit, this guy is is going as hard as anybody. I love to see it. The energy is unbelievable. Uh, he's the MVP for me, first half in the National League. Swinney, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in agreement here. Uh, DeGrom and Tatis, although I'll tell you what's going to get interesting. If the Mets are going to stay atop the division and DeGrom has a second half like the first and he's flirting with this one ERA and we're talking about Bob Gibson, all of a sudden I think you got to put DeGrom in the MVP conversation there and, uh, and match it up against Tatis. And that's going to be the old you know pitcher versus position player MVP debate 
Um, I think that is strong and healthy at the first half, but I'm willing to defer to the position player at this point and call Tatis my MVP. Uh, I think we revisit this debate at the end of the season based on what DeGrom's doing. All right, guys, break out your crystal ball. We're going to finish off with this. Who do you predict is going to win the American League and the National League pennant? So let's start with Sweeney. Who do you like to win the American League pennant right now? Yeah, you know, really good question. I think I probably picked the Yankees at the beginning of the year. I'm not going to go there right now. I still think there's a run there to make the playoffs, but I can't predict them to win the pennant at this point. Um, You know, the Astros are interesting. I don't think the Astros and White Sox would would really give, you know, draw the imagination of everybody. Um, I don't know. You know, I guess I should probably give Boston some credit here, right? They um, they were the surprise team. I keep wondering if they're going to be there, if they're going to do this. Although I keep coming back to Houston. You know, I kind of waffle <laughs> on that and say, you know, the Astros are just too good. They're a good hitting team. They're a really good hitting team. They have the pitching that we talked about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the the weird redemption that people are not going to want to see as a redemption story because the Astros cheated. And now we're going to wonder if they are or not, but they're they're doing it. And I kind of like the Astros in the American League. You know, what kind of story will that be if Dusty Baker leads them to a World Series and he finally wins one in the middle of that redemption story? Yeah, that's going to be, you know, he's going to be the face of it. I think everyone's going to want him to be the face of it and uh, and see if, uh, you know, see if he can put anything positive on it because I think he's tried. Nobody's going to be rooting for those players, but I think a lot of people root for Dusty Baker. I don't know. I, I kind of think I, as, as we talk about the National League, I kind of like the fun in thinking about Jacob deGrom as 1988 Oral Hershiser. I'd love to see that happen. So let's let's just call it that. How about deGrom leading the Mets to the World Series uh, against the Astros? That's my that's my uh, take on on uh, at the halfway point of the season. <laughs> there you go. All right, Boney, who do you got winning the pennants? Man, I, I've been waffling back and forth, and, and I might go with – I had two in mind, and I might go with the opposite of Sweeney because we need to have two different crystal balls on this on this program. It is the Boone Podcast. I can't be agreeing with, with the guests that come on. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, mean, I'll tell you, on, I think – I think We might make it the Sweeney Podcast. All right, now I'm going to be serious. Here we go. Red Sox, not good enough. Too much of a feel-good story. I don't buy it. Uh, A's. As much as I respect and, and and what the A's have done, and I mentioned it earlier, the last 20 years, how they're always right there, right there going to the postseason. And for some reason, they're, that, that organization, that team is not built for the postseason. I don't think them getting through all those landmines, which is the postseason. Get them out. Tampa, if, if anybody I'm going to go out on a limb, it would be Tampa. Uh, White Sox, I think, are quality. But I just don't think they're good enough. I'm going to have to agree with Sweeney. It is the Houston Astros. Uh, they've been through a lot. They, they've got a lot of experience on that team, a lot of world champions on that team. The pitching's been a big uh, surprise for me, how, how, well they've do, uh, how well they've done as a staff. Dusty's at the helm. Uh, I just think in the end, in my crystal ball, it's a long way away. Houston Astros, second half winners of the American League. All right, what do you got in the National League? Booney? Dodgers. Pure and simple, I think the Giants are, are, are going to make a run at it. 
too good in that division. Padres, man, it wouldn't surprise me. I got to go with the best team in baseball. Pound for pound, they got the best offense, best pitching, best bullpen. Los Angeles Dodgers. Sweeney, anybody other than the Dodgers you like? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I kind of feel like I, I, I'd want to root for the Mets to have that Jacob deGrom, Oral Hershiser type of run. Um, you know, Marcus Stroman uh, stays healthy is a, is a good number two for them. Uh, and listen, Francisco Lindor shows you in the second half that he's Francisco Lindor. Um, you know, the Mets have legitimate star power and a legitimate player that can they can help carry that offense and lead that offense. So they got some sluggers, Alonzo and Conforto. I like. Um, they're not a perfect team, but you know, like I said, uh, you put Jacob Degrom at the front, and you can beat just about anybody, and uh, even the Dodgers, which the Mets did a few years ago with you know different uh, you know a different alignment, different setup. Um, and the Dodgers hadn't, you know, climbed the mountain of world champions yet and, and to figure that part out. But, you know, the Mets showed you that even an imperfect team with some pretty good pitching can beat anybody in a postseason. And they might be able to do that again if DeGrom is able to, to carry this run all the way through. Well, guys, thank you so much for helping us out with the uh, preview of the second half and the review of the first half. Sweeney, people want to find you on social media. Give me your uh, handles for everybody. Yeah, go to at Yankees WFAN. That's the place to find me on Twitter. That's probably the, the place where you'll find most of my stuff. And I link stuff there to articles or podcasts or things like that, or just general amusement during the course of a day. So at Yankees WFAN on Twitter. And Booney, of course, yours is. I don't know. That's for Dan <laughs> Levy at the Boone Podcast. At the Boon 29. There, there you go. go. Jay, uh, uh, thanks, Dan. See, I'm glad I had to bring Dan in here to to save us because this has been so good. And and again, getting a chance to to hear Sweeney and you talk about watching uh, what it's like to be in New York in the media. And, and I've got a chance to watch Sweeney work for so many years. It's great to have him on the podcast. Then hearing your guys' review of the uh, first half and then what we're expecting in the second half. Absolutely fantastic. So from all of us here at the Boone Podcast, we thank you for joining us. Thanking Sweeney Murdy from W. Uh, FAN, and of course, Boone, the Boone, the host of this podcast. I'm Rich Schreer. Thanks so much for joining us today, everybody. And I'm Dan Levy, and I'm the technical director, producer of the Boone Podcast, executive producer. You just heard him as Rich Herrera. Digital content gets handled by the one and only Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, my name is Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. Do it again soon. See ya.